0: You're listening to the Mentors for Military podcast with your hosts, Robert Gowan, Rudy Lindsay, Mike Pritz, and Kat Kaelin.
1: Fantastic. All right. Well, I got to turn your sound in my ears down a little bit because... <laughs> <laughs> is it blowing you out?
2: Robert is, He's literally screaming at you. I have
0: my mic, <laughs> believe it or not, set almost at half setting and you guys come in at much louder.
2: It's always the cheapest headphones that work the best.
1: No, oh, why is that? <laughs>
2: this Marketing.
1: Is... Yeah, this so these, <laughs> these headsets were from a United when I uh... well, I paid five bucks for them. Oh, there oh, you go. You're... Yeah, <laughs> I don't I don't think they wanted them back. They didn't ask for them. Is that so what they, they charge go now? Is five dollars? Well, I got them a couple of years ago, Wow. and I wasn't in first class or anything. Holy cow!
2: So... Well, even for Wi-Fi, like when I flew to New York for the flight, the flight's like maybe two and a half hours. They wanted me to pay twenty-five dollars for the entire flight to access their Wi-Fi.
0: Yeah, yeah. I'm
2: like, yeah, Yeah, you could could kiss my butt. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) I'll wait. I'll take a nap instead.
0: (laughs) Yeah, they. I typically end up taking a movie, although the last movie it wasn't supposed to be a streaming movie. It was supposed to be that I download it from like Amazon Prime or something, and when I put it on my PC and started playing it or my Apple. It automatically said that I had to connect to a Wi Fi. And I'm like, what? So I had to pay the twenty five dollars to watch my already paid seven dollar movie. So that That's movie. What I
2: get
0: yeah, that, that movie cost me thirty two bucks to watch. Oh, uh it was it was okay. The sad part was, you know how they have a the little monitor on your seat back in front of you? So, the flight was five and a half hours, six hours, and I thought, well, I'll watch a second movie. And as I was flipping through the movie choices on there, the movie I paid $32 for was for free on that.
1: Awesome. <laughs> <laughs> and then you didn't get to keep it or get a refund or anything else?
0: No, no, no. So, anyway, <laughs> I ended up watching two movies. One I paid 32 one for free, and then I ended up surfing the internet after that. So whatever.
1: Yeah. I first got introduced to your podcast by one of your listeners, uh, you know, and I w- was telling her about. Well, I was just posting about things that I'm doing, and uh, she's like, "Hey, you should get in touch with these guys." And so let's see. I've gone through. The last episode I listened to is episode 10, the adaptability, and just in those ten episodes, and I, I listened. I start started with episode seventy-four, the teachable moments. Yeah. And so that one and the first ten, I was like, "Yeah, these these folks are definitely. We're all on the same wavelength of making sure that veterans kind of understand how these dang civilians think and talk and what how they perceive us." Everything.
0: God bless you for uh, starting at the very beginning because those were our roughest moments. We used to do this show live. Yeah, it sounded like. And that was a little bit different, obviously, because we had unique challenges that would happen. As a matter of fact, we had one guest on that I couldn't even save the show. The second show was the same way, but it was a, a reverb feedback that kept coming on. And this was a. Yeah,
1: I heard that on the second episode.
0: Yeah, this is a New York Times bestselling author, Kat Noser. And we had her on the show, and I kept telling the guys, I'm like, guys, I'm hearing an awful reverb that just keeps going on and on and on. They're like, well, it sounds great here. And I'm like, okay, well, then we'll keep rolling. Well, I should have trusted what was coming through my headset. And because at the end of the day, it was absolutely horrendous. I couldn't do anything with it. There is no way to reverse engineer. They basically say it's like trying to bake a cake and going back to the, the single ingredients that made the cake. So you can't take right. a cake and go back and parse it apart, you know, to flour, to eggs, and, and all of that. So it was hosed. It, we yeah. just spent, what, an hour and a half or something uh, with that a That was York- a
2: long one, yeah, yeah it was a,
0: Yeah, it was a great and we podcast. we were
2: so excited to get her on. And, I know. And, you know, we were about some great topics, and it was just... It was funny, because you can always tell when Robert can't really hear he he doesn't contribute much, so we're all just <laughs> talking and everything, and he's just he, he has this like puzzled look on his face, and, he, and by the end, you know, we always we were like, man, somebody else needs to record this too, because it was a good show, but it just wasn't piecing together well at all. Yeah, but
0: kind of messed up. So but the yeah. fr- the first episodes too, we used to take in listeners who could contribute and add, you know, right. their opinions and all that, and it was really good for that aspect of it. But as we went on in time, we started realizing that. We could have more flexibility in in time and the whole bit if we were to tape it. Yeah. And content if we were to actually tape it and instead of live, just tape the show and everything. So it's worked out much better, obviously, for technical reasons and stuff that we experience. But we, we also drifted away a little bit from the transition piece because there's only so much in some cases that you can actually add value to in terms of transition. Yeah. So we kind of steered away from that and started going in different topics in terms of leadership, management, or just daily life type of stuff that we could share from guests that we had and stuff like that. But I think the part that you bring to the table here is really fascinating. You know, when you started talking to me about or sharing with me about your degree and background in performance psychology, which in itself is the studying of human behavior and how... They set goals and do all those types of things. You spent 20 years, was it, or how many years did you spend in the Air Force?
1: Yeah, uh, 20 years Air Force. Started out as a helicopter crew chief, working on h 60s Did that for a few years, and I was like, hey, this is a great job. I've deployed a couple of times, but I don't see myself turning wrenches for the rest of my life. And then what am I going to do when I get out after, you know, whether it's 4 or 10 or 20 or 30 years? Am I still going to be turning wrenches on helicopters? Am I going to have to work for a police station or some other rescue unit, Coast Guard or whatever? And I was like, that's, that's not my life. You know, this has been a great experience, but I either need to cross-train or it's time to go on to different pastures. So uh, Air Force first-term airmen, a year before their separation, they're allowed to apply for cross-training. So I did that, got into computer programming, Completely different from wow. that, yeah. You know, but I mean, I came into the Air Force when I was 21, so I'd already worked in, you know, the civilian world. You know, kind of had an idea of who I was and everything. And I was looking for how can I serve and yet be able to get something in return as well. So got into IT, and then back in the mid 2000s, the Air Force was like, hey. We don't need active duty programmers anymore because this isn't a war fighting career field, so they started retraining us into other fields and I got into Intel. And then like two or three years later, Air Force was like, Hey, we need active duty programmers because we want to have this cyber warfare thing. I was gonna so say, like, yeah.
0: <laughs> I mean that so, came full three sixty quick.
1: Yeah, it did. And and that's 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 the way technology nowadays is. I mean, things change so fast. Right. I heard on one of your, your earlier podcasts, uh, and I don't know how many other ones it's going to be in, because I'm still listening to catching up. But it was fast second, or you know, you don't want to be the oh, leading edge. Yeah. You want to be quick, uh, fast follower. I think fast follower.
0: I that's right. Yeah.
1: And and I was like, that's that's ingenious. You know, I've got ideas for applications myself that could be like the next big thing, because someone else has already gone out there and and made the mistakes.
0: So for those who haven't listened to a previous podcast, what Eric's talking about is that I had a former CEO. And when we were talking about the marketplace and how it was constantly changing, I asked a question about, you know, shouldn't we be ahead of the marketplace and looking for the innovation and, and ways in which we could actually be the tip of the spear? And the response was, no, we would we prefer to be fast followers. Right. That was kind of a a shocking moment because to me, especially being in the military, a fast follower usually meant that you arrived much too late.
1: Right. Well, and and right on that, I mean, you think about it. The Macintosh computer came out before Windows came out. But what has more of the market share? Now, I'm not saying, I'm not going to say what's the better product, but it has more, more of the market share.
0: So how did you find your transition? Did you find it an easy thing coming out of the Air Force? Because I can tell you for Kat and I, you know, coming out of the Army, the the Army program, and I've heard the same from other services and such, that said that it's always a difficult transition because the class doesn't really prepare you for a lot of what you're going to experience. And a lot of the assistance that they provide in terms of resume and such are just not the types of resume they're, they're better suited for. And and I've certainly seen them as well. Those resumes are usually suited for high school students who are coming out of high school, as opposed to somebody who have had, who's had a lot of experience with the military that they can bring to the table. And if they were written without military jargon, terminology
1: and everything else, they could be better utilized. Absolutely. And so, well, so there's a couple of questions that you've asked. I'll try to get, get into them for my personal transition. It was pretty smooth. But I totally agree with you. At least the Air Force TAP class, the Transition Assistance Program, was insufficient. It didn't actually train you or the individuals that went to it how to transition. Yes, they gave you resources. They said, okay, this is where you need to go to apply for school. This is your GI Bill benefits. Uh, This is going to be your new um, SGLI insurance benefits if you want to. This is where you need to go to contact for getting a liaison to file your VA disability voucher or your claim, and then this is how you write a resume. And trying to put all that into a week and have it be deaf by PowerPoint, it just yeah, right. it wasn't, wasn't efficient. Now, right. so, and so this is where, you know, my whole thing came about. I retired in January of 2013, and in early 2012, I was like, you know, this isn't the Air Force I signed up for, and... I don't know that if I have the, the patience to make, you know, my surroundings, what it means to be and mentor all of these people enough, you know, and I was doing, um, I was doing mud runs, warrior dash and Spartan and stuff. And, and we, some buddies and I wanted to raise money for a cause. And so we were doing research and stuff and this, you know, PTSD came up and I had already been a suicide awareness program manager. I talked guys out of suicide and helped other people learn how to do the same thing. And I was looking at the numbers. And at that point in 2012, the most current number was 18 suicides a day. And one of which was active duty. I'm like, man, that's, that's too many. And I can personally have more of an impact if I get, if I retire and get into a field where I can actually be one-on-one with individuals that are receptive to learning how to better themselves and not focusing on, Oh, you know, the label of PTSD or, Oh, I don't want to go to a therapist and where they think that I'm crazy or they're going to try to medicate me. You know, I just want to be, you know, life coach without having that that title uh, because that even has some stigma.
0: Sure. So, it does. Yeah,
1: you know, by the time I retired in 2013, the new numbers came out and it was 22 a day. And I was like, even more reason that I've, know that I'm on the right path now uh, because the numbers are going up. They're not going down or stagnating. So I started on my master's degree program in performance psychology, which is exactly where I want to be. I don't know if I'm going get to end up getting a PhD. I can get certification and other things, positive psychology and other things. It's studying the brain, people's behavior, organizational behaviors. So it's not about what signs that you have of you know, a disorder or anything else it's this is the way the brain functions this is why we have the instincts we have and this is the way you can adapt the way that you think in order to live a positive life and it's very well received by especially veterans who they ride out of high school after listening to mom and dad saying this is what you need to do and where you need to be don't really listen to why you need to do it just obey me and then they jump right into the military where it's kind of the same thing but a lot of things are written down and saying, you know, this is what you need to do because this is cool and rule and you, know, you have to obey the orders. But yes, sir, no, sir. And yes, ma'am, no, ma'am. And so by the time it comes to that transition class and they're saying these are the resources that you have and these are people that can help you, good luck. And they just leave it. And where in basic training, at least for the enlisted side, you know, they spend a week or two on breaking you down making you stop thinking like a person and think like a military machine, but then they don't break you back down and say, stop thinking like a military structured machine because the rest of the world is unstructured and chaotic, and you need to be able to learn how to flex that environment where people are profit-driven and not mission-driven. So I'm writing some books on stress management. There's going to be a few that are just specifically for the military population, spouse families, So that people can understand how the other side thinks. And there's organizations here in San Antonio that are now working on doing that translation for the resume purposes. Saying, okay, let's take your APRs and then let's translate it to a resume that civilians understand. And getting partnerships with corporations that actually hire military as opposed to saying, well, we favor military, but they don't really do anything actually. Right. So organizations are going to be vetting companies like that and building new search engines and resume databases, You know, headhunting companies basically that really, really get the veterans to the position that they need to be and train them how to think and adapt.
0: A lot of people are not familiar, of course, with the way human resources works and sourcing <laughs> resumes, but I, let's face it, a lot of the resumes come in today in electronic format that can be converted into data and then queried based on keywords and so when a a internal recruiter or an external recruiter is actually looking for a particular candidate they're going in and entering those keywords into the system and several resumes are going to pop so if your keywords that you use within your resume are equal to the same number of keywords that they keyed in for the job description, then you're going to rise to the top. You're going to probably be in the top 10, top 20 of those resumes, and you're going to probably get a phone call by that recruiter to set up an initial interview to screen you. And once again, if your resume has been assisted by somebody though, and has been properly screened and broken down into civilian language you have to also know how to communicate that verbally in such a way that you don't all of a sudden start bringing yourself down as well i mean because there's right. there's a lot that goes into that there are many steps of this and then there's the face-to-face interview if you look very intimidating or you use the knife hand when you talk or you know those types of things once again those are nonverbal communications that you're using that people are going to be turned off by, because they are automatically see that you're a military and they don't understand that component right. of it.
2: Well, that, right. Just to differ, differentiate, it's a lot of times people miss the culture. So even though you may have somebody and a lot of veterans don't, but luckily it's starting to get, it's starting to grow, but being able to translate your skills to a civilian resume, the problem I see a lot is that, okay, this is written out for me. This is great. But when you walk into the office, it's like, oh my gosh, like this, the culture is so different, the verbiage, the people's personalities, I mean, they don't get your humor, they don't get your sarcasticness, you know, that's one of the things that I have, it's like, a lot of times you see a lot of veterans, when they get uncomfortable, they become sarcastic and awkward, and that's probably part of the culture, and we're not taught to, I guess, assimilate to the civilian side.
1: Right, and so, I don't know about in the Army, but in the Air Force, we had, you know, NCO councils, and and stuff that for, you know, mentoring junior enlisted, and if we didn't have the same promotion boards. But if there was going to be like a, you know, a quarterly award or an annual award or something, where you would have to go in front of the board, and be interviewed by senior NCOs or officers, for that matter, to say, hey, this is why I was, you know, the hot guy this month or this quarter or whatever. I know you see my uh, write-up, my resume for this quarterly award so we would have mock boards to be able to get that individual to be comfortable because the brain is all about repetition the brain is all about comfort zones and familiarity so if you've already physically gone through the process and you succeeded and you were confident then when you're actually performing in that role you're going to do much better. And so, whether you've imagined it or whether you've actually gone through it physically, the brain's still going to give you more confidence, and that's why you know repetition, repetition is my friend. Friend is what we would say in training. Yeah. So these same organizations that are going to be doing the the uh, vetting and the screening and the translating of resumes and stuff, you know, I'm I'm on these boards, and I'm going to be recommending that we do mock interviews for veterans that want to go through that process or at least having recorded videos of the process so that they can visualize what goes on in that strange environment and be more comfortable when they're actually in that performance environment.
0: Here's some of the challenge that I see, though, is that you have a lot of individuals that serve within the military, some of which have seen combat, and so they feel like whatever they're going to face... They they have already seen greater challenges, but here here's the the problem with that mindset is that it's a totally different and can't nail that culture and environment that you're going into. And one of the things that we learn within the military is to adapt and to adjust and to overcome, obviously. But right. that part of it is is the, is the training that you're talking about that we typically do within the military to build that repetition, to give us that confidence to go down uh, that path to be successful You don't get that like you're saying within the military. So when you make that transition, even though you have all that confidence for what you did while in the military, they're gonna thank you for your service and and that's about it. At the end of the day, they're gonna wanna see what is it that you're gonna contribute to them and how you articulate that is gonna be so important. The confidence now needs to not come from a cocky, arrogant kind of confidence that I've been there, done that, because you really haven't been there, done that in the private sector.
1: Uh, like i mentioned before you know the private sector is profit driven uh whether it's for the company or whether for the individual because performance is going to you know give you a pay raise or give you an advancement much more directly than in the military where it's time in service time and grade you know for, for the most part there's exceptions to that rule obviously but yeah and you had mentioned that the the, the tap class you know They do the resumes for 18-year-olds that are just learning how to write a resume, and it's sort of accurate because this is the first civilian resume that a military person has happened to write, but they have so much more leadership uh, and project management and all these other tangible assets, but it, it's just a matter of being able to translate it to the way someone else can understand it.
0: Absolutely. And I agree with you, the tangible assets are very important because they have the integrity, the loyalty, the honesty, you know, all of those types of traits, too, that have been embedded in them while they were serving, that's going to be very beneficial because none of those things are taught. The leadership things, typically within small organizations, and I say small, it might be half a million or maybe even somewhat up to a couple billion dollars of a company revenue or less. Typically, the HR doesn't focus on leadership training. They don't have the funds for it. They don't focus on growing the bench strength and all that because they don't have the funds for it. Some do, some don't, but the bigger companies definitely do, and so you might receive that type of training and see those people that had that experience. But an individual that might spend six, eight, ten years within the military has gone through maybe one to three leadership courses that are primarily around managing and leading individuals. And so that right. experience, if you can somehow translate that in such a way that it comes across and that, again, that confidence is there, it's certainly going to help that experience that you've also articulated and communicated on your document called the resume.
1: Right. Well, I mean, it's been now, wow, four years since I've separated. I know when I was on active duty, uh, the Air Force paid for a subscription for every all, all members for Skillsoft training uh, it was online education where a lot of it was IT stuff, but there was also some leadership stuff. There were free PMP courses that you could end up taking. Oh, that's so, great. I'm sure that there are similar resources that are still available to active duty members or even just taking, a, you know, especially right now while tuition assistance is still at 100%, before it drops, because you know that with the new leadership we've got <laughs> in the Oval Office, there's going to be budget cuts at some point. And tuition assistance is always on the cutting block whether it happens or not. So while tuition assistance is still 100%, go take some financial management classes. Go take some of those things where, okay, this isn't for my current career, but I need this understanding so that when I get out, I can do it. And that's really what performance for psychology is all about, is preparing yourself for when you're needing that you already have the information ahead of time. Yeah, they say that the... You know, the most successful CEOs and stuff, they jump off the cliff and then build everything on their way down, build their parachute or their airplane or whatever, and that's great in a pinch and depending upon how much you're trying to leap off that cliff, figuratively speaking, but for just everyday tasks, you definitely need more preparation. You need to have those resources with you so that when you do make that leap of faith that you can build whatever you need
0: Mm -hmm. as you go most people don't think about transition until it becomes the transition period so they think about it at that point where they say okay i've made the decision i'm going to go ahead and get out and for some people it's that ets date that's already hanging out there that they knew many years ago as a matter of fact that they were going to do that or in in some cases it's a retirement date or something like that so there's usually a date but most people don't think about that date or don't program themselves towards that date By doing the proper preparation, and in my case, I wrote about it in the book that I wrote called Master the Transition that I learned early on because I started testing the waters and throwing my resume out there of what I thought was a good resume. And I went to interviews and thought I was real confident in in what I was doing or what I thought I knew. And I got slapped back to reality multiple times. Well that taught me a very valuable lesson that I needed to do proper preparation and in some cases, depending upon my goal, it might be a glide path of six to eight, 10 years down the road, or it could be in in shorter periods for some people as much as 12 to 24 months. So if right. you're thinking about it in a six-month window where you've, you're you now starting to think about transition because you're now starting to think about, yeah, I'm going to go home and I'm going to live in this house or I'm going to get me an apartment and I, <laughs> I want to get me a job. I don't want to have to live back with my parents or whatever the case may be. And you're short-sighting yourself with a six-month glide path. You're not going to be as successful. And for some people, right. they need to actually take a year off when they get out. And we've had guests on that said the same thing. Take time away. Prep yourself by having enough income that you can actually step away for a period of time and find yourself all over again and what your passion is.
1: Right. Being able to, to do that preparation. I mean, some people might be interested in just going through the process of applying for a job by get a part time job while you're still on active duty. Get your feet wet you know, as far as going through the process so that you're familiar with it when you absolutely need to, when it matters.
0: Or surround Uh, yourself with a network of individuals who are civilians so that you can start learning some more of the terminology, the cultures, the differences. Yeah,
1: definitely. Yeah, and I know you've mentioned in previous episodes, you know, LinkedIn. Uh, I just was mentoring some active duty guy who's only been in for four years. He doesn't know if he's going to stay for only six or if he's going to make a career out of it. I was like, dude, get a LinkedIn account right now start making sure that you translate all of your eprs and your performance reports and everything else into what you're doing give the real story on there as opposed to what the bullet version of it was and then make start making your connections and the best part is in addition to the, the connections because some jobs uh, will ask for references linkedin for those that don't know, you can actually have, request a reference for a specific position from a friend of yours or connection that knows what you did there. And they go right there on your profile and can say, yeah, you know, Airman Snuffy did this great of a job and, uh, you know, this I would trust him with my kids or whatever, <laughs> you know, and, and all <laughs> right. of my riches and my bank account information because and he would do great in whatever role that he's going to be in. And someone, a recruiter or a potential employer is going to see that, and then they're not going to have to reach out to as many people because they already have someone else that's vouching for you. Um, that's, that's one of the many things that I like about LinkedIn myself. Yeah. Yeah, it's all, it's all about the networking, whether it's online or in person. But
2: that, as far as reconstructing soldiers, I like how you say that because we're always broken down and then formed into this massive machine. Other than, I guess, when it comes to transitioning to rebuild your resume and translate it for the civilian side uh what other things do you do for guys and gals that are coming out of the service in regards to just reassimilating to a civilian lifestyle instead of um and, and as well as getting a job and all of that because a lot of that i mean you can make the perfect resume but sometimes i mean you can see in the last 10 years especially with the soft guys they're all of a sudden like being told don't feel, and then now being told to feel. So, I mean, that's a huge thing, especially if you're studying the brain. I'm just curious on how what you're seeing as, you know, even though you're building this person up to be this perfect profile, are they really are they really going to be prepared to go and fulfill that job?
1: And I mean, it all depends on the individual and whether they're, you know, sincerely wanting that job or whether they're just applying for a job. And that, that does make a huge difference. Some, some individuals get desperate and they're just like, well, this was in the same career field as what I was doing. So, or I've got some experience in it, so I'm just going to throw my name out there and just hope for the best. And you really have to target what you're wanting and what, what's going to make you feel like you're making a difference and that you've, you've actually got a purpose in what you're doing. Now, if your purpose is just to go do something, I mean, you can be a welder, or you can be a, a cashier, <laughs> or you can try to be a, you know, a CEO of a company and start your own thing, which a lot of folks you know, they do that. But it's kind of some soul searching as far as you know what you want out of what you're trying to get, what your goals are, and not a matter of just defining what the end goal is. And this is where I, in my in my coaching one on one. I say, well, what's your end goal? What's what's what are you trying to get to? And then, so what's it going to take for you to, to get to that point? And so, rather than making like a New Year's resolution, for example, and saying I'm going to lose fifty pounds this year, and then all of a sudden, you know, you have a night of you know pizza and and ice cream and all this other stuff, and you're like, oh, I've blown my whole diet, and it's only like the fourth of January. Well, so what? You know, the, don't think of the fact that. You know, you still have 11 and a half months left in the year to meet your goal. So rather than saying, you know, this is this is the whole thing I'm doing, you break it down in order to do this in a 12 month period. What do you have to do in 11 months? And then in each month, then what do you have to do each week? And then what do you have to do each day? And realize that it's an average for a total result. And so if you fall a little short one at one day or one week, you know, you make up for it the next day or the next week. And you don't let yourself get down because what's already been in the past is in the past. And the only way that you can be successful in the future is taking control of your present. You know, that's, that's what my first book is about, you know, control, influence, and then dumping the irrelevant, the things that you can't do anything about. And adapting the way that we think of responding to the world around us. One, one of the chapters in my book, we, uh, I, I mentioned, you know, an asteroid asteroids are going to come and hit the earth. You can't do anything about that. I don't have the resources to do anything about that. So there's plenty of options I have. I could sit there and curl up in a ball and cry until the end of the world. I can dig a bunker and try to make sure that I've got all the supplies in there to try to survive once this thing hits. Or I can live my life to the fullest and go skydiving and go snorkeling and, and do all these other bucket list things to enjoy the life that I have while I still have it. Or I can just ignore the fact that this thing out there is going to happen and so I'm just going to live the best I can while I'm still here. Then there's going to be other people that take the negative route and they're like, hey, it doesn't matter what I do. I'm going to go hurt people or I'm going to go rob banks and so that I can do other things and. They're going to take the negative route, and that is also a choice. But all of those responses to the inevitable are choices and how you manage your stress. What's going to be productive? What's going to be your best option? And what's going to be the least negative impact on other people, if that's what you care about as other people? Another option that might not be in your necessary control, but it could be in your influence, would be trying to influence NASA or some other company that has laser beams that can attack that asteroid on your behalf, you can't control whether or not they do it, but you can maybe, hey, let's do a fundraiser and get you money so that you can end up doing it, and you have influence someone else that has that control on the ability and the resources to be able to do it. The same thing is going to go about in, in job hunting. You know, what resources do I have? I can't control whether or not they hire me, but I can influence it the best that I can. And I have the resources. I've got everything written on my resume. And when I compare face-to-face in an interview, I tell them exactly why I am the best candidate. Um, and a little trick with the resume, a lot of people don't know this, but a lot of people actually do it as a trick. Because, if, especially if you know that once you're in an interview, you're going to knock it out of the water because you're going to be able to talk face to face and them. You're going to use your influence on the person, right? But you can't necessarily influence a computer, but you actually can in this case. Because whether it's a Word document or a PDF, and some recruiters, some headhunters and recruiters will tell you this trick. Take the keywords that are in the job description, put them at the very bottom of the resume in very small fonts. Where it's not going to you know, adjust the uh, what's printed on your resume. And then put it in white font ink so that it can't <laughs> be seen by the human eye. And if someone prints it, that's not going to show up because it's in white. But the computer that does a scan for those keywords are going to see that. Now, if you have no business having that job, then don't do that <laughs> trick because right. you're going to be <laughs> time, they're gonna be you're gonna be influencing in a negative way because uh, you're gonna to get to the interview and they're gonna be like, what the heck is this clown?
0: Right. But right. if
1: it's just a matter of being able to get into that top percent so that some HR person says, Oh, the computer told me this is a good candidate, I'm gonna spend more than five seconds looking at this. And then they read it and you've actually done a good job and it does show that you are matched to the match to it, even if the words are different and that's that's a trick that i mean that's not a secret i've never that heard that people- i mean that's a fascinating
0: that is, i mean and and trust me i i've odd. been out for a long time and been a hiring manager and i had never seen that now of course the resumes that are that i was reviewing could have been a part of that but that's very mm-hmm. interesting approach for sure
1: I, you've got to think outside the box you've that's to crazy whatever you yeah. have in your control even if it's sneaky <laughs> yeah
2: that's all got use every resource awesome. that
1: you have and think because yeah. yeah. you can't influence a person until you get past that first screening mechanism that you you know you can still influence even even though it's not in a way that you thought necessarily and
0: you said five seconds, and the truth of the matter is uh the average time that a hiring manager or even a recruiter looks at a resume is eight to ten seconds and and it's actually yeah. true. I can tell you from my own experience, I would look at resumes and if I were provided, depending upon the recruiter, internal recruiter that was looking for the specific job requirements that I had set out in the job description, they would provide me a set of resumes. And if it were five, I could spend a little bit more time on them, but they provided me 15, 20, 25 because the guidance that I had provided them is I wanted a little bit more leeway into, you know, looking and selecting the actual candidates that I wanted to personally interview then I would probably spend 8 to 10 seconds. I'm going to look at it, and believe it or not, I do look at format, I do look at font, I look at all of that kind of stuff, and if it just bored me quick, I turn it over and I don't even get into the the content of it. I mean, it's pretty sad, but that's the truth of the matter. Oh, it is. You know, And what you just presented is something that would be hidden within there that I I definitely wouldn't see. But again, it would give you the opportunity to reach the second phase because the first one's the gatekeeper. There's always a gatekeeper. So the the first gatekeeper is going to be the recruiter. Then there might even be a second phase where it's a telephonic from the recruiter. Then you actually may get to people that the hiring manager have set up to be part of the hiring process because they value their opinion. Then you might get to the hiring manager. And when you right. finally do get to the hiring manager, if it's a telephonic, there might be a face-to-face that goes beyond that. And you might start uh-huh. the process all over again. Because then you're going through the re- the receptionist at the front desk. You're going past the secretary or administrative assistant of the hiring manager. You're then going and meeting the people that are on the panel or individuals that have been selected to meet you face-to-face. So the process resets recalibrates and now it's about what you present to right. the people
1: and going back to kind of what I was saying what's in your control and influence I mean if and focusing on stress or not you know if you just are in panic mode and you're like I've got to get as many resumes out there as I possibly can and I'll just apply for anything just and hope for the best if that's your focus then you're not concentrating on what is actually going to be productive for you. Yeah. And if you, and you're not going to come up with creative ways like the white font for some keywords that the computer is going to catch and a person won't.
0: Yeah. You're Um, using a shotgun approach and that might work, but maybe not.
1: Right. And it's, it's not as effective as being able to actually spend the time and, you know, customize a resume specifically for a job application and saving all the different versions of what you're doing you know different keywords or even just putting the company name on it so that you remember this is the one that I applied for this job with.
0: I want to say something though because uh, you know in the very beginning or here a few moments ago you had talked about resumes and that you know using the keywords and all of that but the biggest thing you can do is although a lot of companies now advertise their positions out there your network is your net worth and that's been used a lot in terms of a a saying but it's it's so truthful that if you go out there and you create on LinkedIn on other locations or just in your community in your family and your friends and all that a large network they're going to help you try to find that job now that doesn't mean that when you apply for that job you should spend every moment trying to find the keywords for that job description of the job that's been placed out there because even though they may be in your network that helped you find that position, it doesn't mean you're guaranteed the job because they're a friend or a friend of a friend. There's no guarantee even then.
1: Yeah. uh, When I was separating, I was out in Charlottesville, Virginia at an operating location. It wasn't even at a base. But when I was retiring, my family was going to stay there. And then for lots of reasons, we just suddenly decided, well, actually, we're going to move back to San Antonio when you retire. And I was like, Well, we're like a month away from this now, and I was already having interviews here in Virginia, and now we're going to be going to a completely different state, completely different environment, and I could have panicked, but no, I put it out to my network, and I was like, hey, all my buddies that are still in San Antonio, we're coming, we're going to be there in a couple of weeks, my last paycheck from the military is going to be the end of January, if you know of any job openings, let me know. The next thing you know, one of my buddies that was here in San Antonio that I didn't even know that he had moved back, he's like, "Hey, I work for this company. You know, we've got these job openings. But you think you could, you know, qualify for any of these?" So I was like, "I'm straight." <laughs> so I gave him my resume. He submitted it on my behalf as a referral. There you go. And next thing you know, I have an interview. And I'm, of course, once I get face to face, I knocked it out of the park. And but. It's not a guarantee, but it's a matter of getting past that gatekeeper, being able to get into the environment where you have much more control and influence over your out.
0: Yeah, I love that. I mean, the control and influence aspect of, is so important because now you had a lot more control and a lot more influence because you bypass the gatekeeper through your network and reached the hiring manager, which allowed you then to get your foot in the door. And let's face it, that's all we want is an opportunity to get face-to-face with somebody that we can then talk to without a piece of paper representing us.
1: Right, exactly. You know, it's not, it isn't what you know or who you know. It's what you know and who you know. A lot of people think, you know, oh, it's it's all in who you know. But you've got to bring something to the table you can't just right. know, you know Donald Trump or Tony Robbins or the CEO or the owner of the NFL or whatever if you're trying to get an opportunity in a certain place. You have to be able to actually perform once you're in that role and, and convince folks why you can't. And, and it goes for more than just jobs. I mean, it, it's you know, nonprofit volunteering or, or whatever else.
0: Absolutely. I mean, it's only going to carry you so far. So if I know you, Eric, and you provide me your resume, I might look at it and still not see how it's going to fit within the job that I placed out there that you feel you could fulfill. But once I talk to you, then that's that opportunity for you to sell yourself on that position. And if I don't see that there, even though I know you, that doesn't mean that I'm going to put you ahead of all these other people that are more qualified. Unfortunately... That's where the friendship and the connection and the network ends. You've got to bring something something to the table. Yeah, absolutely.
2: Yeah, ultimately you could ruin your credibility. So and then that well, could yeah. screw you over for the rest you of can, your career. You could kill your choices, network.
1: And it's gonna ruin the credibility of the of your network yeah, person. Absolutely. And they're not gonna vouch for you again.
0: Yep. What are, say, five things that folks can kind of take away of what we've discussed here that you would recommend that people do in preparation for transition? Or if somebody's listening and they've already transitioned out and they're looking for a way that they can get within the job market because they're just really struggling or they haven't found that right fit for a job. And so they're they're listening to this and they're going, maybe I can apply what's been talked about here. Give us three to five things that maybe you can share for those individuals.
1: So strengthen your network, gather your resources, you know, once you've identified them and and be able to present those resources in the proper way, leverage the experience of other people and breathe and focus. (laughs) Because if you're you're not focused on what your end goal is and the steps that it takes to get there, you're not going to end up getting there. And if you do, it's going to be by just sheer luck and if you want to be successful, you can't rely on left. The only thing you can rely on is yourself. At that point, you know, breathing and focusing is is, uh, is paramount to just about anything you do. When when you feel intense, sometimes you hold your breath, but as soon as you just like, <sighs> you can actually physically feel a difference in your skin and in your heart rate and everything else, and things just do clear up because all of a sudden your brain's got the blood and oxygen that it needs. And it Sounds a little quirky, but it, no, makes you know, sense. You think about it. it, it does completely work. Going back to what I said about relying on the experience of other people, for those that don't know, there the job boards like Indeed, you can look up other people's resumes. You can actually find a resume of someone that has the same job description as you, that is looking for, you know, that has experience in, you know, whatever it is, whether maybe they you want to look up someone that has a PMP certification or, you know, some sort of computer language or something. You can search for that stuff in other people's resumes and see how they presented it. And if it matches up to you, copy and paste, or you know modify it as you need to. And that's how your lack of experience on how to write a resume, you can see how other people are doing it. There's no guarantee that they got a job by that, with that resume, but at least it's a step in the right direction. Training yourself, if you're not getting the resources that you have to be able to do it. In larger military populated cities, I know here in San Antonio, Military City USA, there's all sorts of nonprofit organizations that are, are trying to make sure that they give resources to those veterans that they can't find themselves. The USO is not just about airports. They've got a new transition program where they're trying to do uh, workshops for resumes and for you know mock interviews and other things. Just search in your area for nonprofits that are going to end up helping you help yourself.
0: When is your book Control It, Influence It, or Dump? Your three choices for healthy stress management coming out.
1: I thinking this spring, but it's probably going to end up being this summer. And then right after that, I'll start into my other one about the military transition mindset, similar to yours, but from a a different perspective. And then next year, at some point, I'll end up writing one for the spouses and and other folks, you know, what the hell happened to my veteran. Yeah. Uh, So that there's that translation of thought, too. In the meantime, people can find me on on LinkedIn, Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, using the handle Eric's Positivity, E-R-I-C-S Positivity. I'll be posting on there exactly when things are available, uh, whether it's uh, the book or whether it's coins or shirts or whatever. And I I try to share quotes from celebrities on my own memes and thoughts for positive thinking, not necessarily military-related, but something that anybody can really get a concept of.
0: Thank you for listening to our podcast. You can follow us on Twitter, Instagram, and at Facebook by searching at Mentors, the number four M-I-L, and please subscribe to our podcast. It's free, and it ensures you're the first to hear our latest podcast show. We have several options depending upon your device, and we're at iTunes, SoundCloud, at Stitcher, and at TuneIn Radio. It doesn't matter whether you are searching for your passion or purpose, finding your way through a military or civilian career, working on your fitness, or just about to climb Mount Kilimanjaro, get after it.